Welcome to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Milhouse, and joined as always by my co-host Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? What's up, dude? Hey. Yes. Well, uh, I just want to say uh, real quick to everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing and downloading and telling your friends about our podcast this year. Um, it's been kind of a crazy year to say the least and this is something fun like our podcast has done well this year it has been it's it's doing pretty well i mean we're we need to grow it still some more and we're trying to and uh word of mouth is how that happens you know and uh i just want to say you know quick thanks because this year has been weird and it's this has been so much fun for the both of us to do and uh i've enjoyed it i know daryl's enjoyed it and we've had some cool guests so we were looking forward to doing more of this in the future uh and with some more cool guests coming up in 2021 uh but you know um daryl how was uh how was your holidays let's let's uh let's, let's go Chris, into that i spent my do? holiday under the weather uh well it has at least um, let's make it clear it's not it's not covid right <laughs> <laughs> yes it's not covid good, Chris, good i don't good. go outside enough or see enough human beings to catch covid i know but we you know some people are listening and i don't know if we just want to make that sure <laughs> make sure that's clear that you are doing okay in just a regular common cold, unfortunately. I don't know. I or fortunately, think I might really. spread the rumor that my health's in jeopardy, and maybe we can get some more listeners. <laughs> yeah, real nice. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start getting all these tweets, and <laughs> people are like, "Oh my God, what's wrong with Daryl?" No. Yeah, he's got the clap. <laughs> yeah, he caught a raging case of herpes down in Tijuana. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'm in California, made the trip, was very nervous uh, to take that flight as they, as they they packed it in a little bit more than I would have liked. And luckily, I didn't have somebody in the middle seat, but they did start filling the middle seats on these flights. So it was a little nerve wracking, but I made it and I'm OK. Did the quarantine for seven to 10 days or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, all is well, man. Nobody took a mask off on the flight. Nobody coughed. I didn't have to make a scene. I was ready to, you know, but uh, luckily everything was well, cool. To me, you know, I had like a, a kind of a depression because of the lack of human contact. So I was meeting people for lunch and, you know, in New York, we have to meet outdoors. And I literally was eating lunch one day in a snowbank. And <laughs> that's how I got this friggin' cold. Um, yeah. So I guess I developed a little bit of an attitude about that for a while, but... The uh, illness is uh, unseen and uncaring. It just kills and could give yeah. a fuck what Daryl Hammond thinks about it. <laughs> Doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks about it, which is unfortunate that uh, this shit is still killer. out I hope everybody is staying safe. I hope everybody is masking up. Um, I hope you are just being responsible, people. That's what we need. We just need to get this, this fucking thing over with till everybody can get the vaccine and we can move on with our lives and eat outdoors or indoors, I should say. Um, you know, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. California, it's funny. Cause like, it's so nice here. That's where I'm at right now in, in orange County. And where in orange have, County are you? Uh, mission Viejo. Oh, I hear that's something. It's nice. I mean, it's very suburbs. It's very much, uh, you know, it's beautiful up there. It's nice. It's, it's nice, but it's, you know, it's like the typical orange County place of, uh, you know, everybody wants to show off their status by, you know, driving their luxury car. And Oh, I didn't realize it's that kind know, of place. That but kind they of say place. Orange County has a lot of wealthy folks in it. They do. I mean, they also they have one of two things. They have either really wealthy people or they have people that want you to think that they're really wealthy. 
you know, sure. they're, they're buying all these luxury cars with no money, you know, <laughs> like just accruing debt and stuff. But um, it's nice here. But the funny thing about it is that, you know, it's 65, 70 out here and Jeez. all their out, outdoor stuff is closed, which makes no sense because, you know, I understand closing the indoor stuff, but like you should still have outdoor stuff open. I mean, you know, it's harder to catch this fucking virus outdoors and uh i don't understand when it's the weather's here is nice and it doesn't make sense to me so whatever i'm still trying I was to... out there when the place was shut down chris i did uh four months out there and that that's right that my one of my favorite neighborhoods in the whole world you know west hollywood where the comedy store is and and the improv i mean it's an incredible neighborhood one of my yeah. favorite and um shut down nobody around Oh, fuck, man, that was, that was weird. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I heard that LA is even more locked down now than it was back then. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're trying to really put a clamp on everything and everything is, uh you know, everybody was a stay-at-home order right now. I don't know. It's, it's nice on one thing because, like, for me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm hanging out with my family. But on the other side of that, I have to hang out with my family nonstop, which I love my family, and I do, but it's... It's funny, like, uh, for an example, yesterday I went to the store with my mom, and uh, all of a sudden she pulled out all these scratchers she wanted to cash at the store. And she must have pulled out, like, 57 fucking scratchers that she wanted to cash at the store. And there's, What's like, a the scratcher for? Like, the the scratchers for lottery. Oh, scratchers. Scratch, yeah, yeah scratch-offs. Yeah. 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 And so, like, out of nowhere, I had no idea. There's a line behind us, and she's got 50-some-odd tickets of scratch offs and she doesn't know if they're winners and she's just trying to like scratch off the barcode so the lady can scan it. This cashier wanted to murder me and my mother. Like it was just, it made me laugh because it's like, you know, this is, this is what, you know, what coming home means. Like you have to spend a lot more time with your family and, you know, does your mother have a sweet tooth for uh, games of chance? No, she buys them a lot for like gifts and stuff for like um, my brother and sister. So we got a bunch from, you know, Christmas and stuff. And then she had like a bunch left over from last year, apparently. So I don't, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little weird, but, uh, whatever. I mean, it's, it's been fun, man. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be that I made it here and I'm not sick and that, you know, I'm able to spend time with the family. Uh, my brother has a puppy. I think I was showing you before this, uh, he brought the puppy home. It's five months old. So, I, didn't, I haven't seen the puppy. Oh, yeah. He's in here somewhere. Um, I'll bring him back on when Rex joins and see if I can show because Rex is a big dog fan. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a full house as far as, you know, there's five of us here and we're, uh, we're all just trying to stay healthy and not make each other go insane. That's the, that's the big thing. Yeah, I bet there's some pretty grim statistics about, um, not to associate you with anything like this, but about things <laughs> like domestic violence and stuff. Um, yeah, no, we wouldn't get to that. We're not getting to that point, obviously. But uh, yeah, I could definitely. No, see you that. don't seem like the kind of family that does that shit. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, uh, maybe after like six months of being quarantined with them, eh, may consider it. <laughs> I doubt that. Kidding, I'm kidding, of course. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, real quick, before we bring on our guest, um, I wanted to give all the listeners one more um you know one more reminder to uh subscribe hit the subscribe button that's imp- that's a an important thing for our podcast make sure you hit subscribe make sure you download tell your friends and then if you got the time which i know you do it's a pandemic please 
give us five stars. Rate us. Give us five stars, even if you don't think we're worth five stars. I think we're worth five stars. It would mean a lot. It helps us beat the algorithm so we have more people can see our podcast and more people will check it out. Um, today, our guest is somebody a little bit different. So we normally have a lot of SNL people, comedians, actors. Today, we're bringing on a professional athlete, a performer, a former professional athlete. Uh, his name is Rex Chapman, and he was a basketball player in the NBA for, I believe, 13 years. A uh, big star in Kentucky, coming out of Kentucky in college, and played for a couple of teams like the Hornets, the Suns. Um, so like he is, he's been around for a while. He played for four teams in 12 years, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So he played for four teams. Um, trying to look up, see which ones he has, uh, the bullets, the heat, the suns, and he was drafted by the Hornets. Um, but the cool thing about Rex is that he's been through a lot and he has overcome a lot. He, you may know him from Twitter. He's become this massive presence on Twitter with millions of followers. He tweets a lot of cool stuff. Um, as far as like videos that are fun, videos that are uplifting, a lot of dog stuff. Um, just a really nice guy who uh, I think has been from to like basically hell and back. And um, he's got a lot of stories, I think, from playing basketball to, you know, being on Twitter and becoming like a social media, like influencer, if you will. So I'm excited to yeah, add him on. I'd like to, I'd like to find out what an influencer is. <laughs> well, let's add him on. Let's see if he's, uh, let's see if he's ready to rock with us real quick. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rex Chapman to the podcast. How are you, Rex? I'm great. How are How are you guys? This is an honor. Great, man. In there, it's great to see you. Um, yeah, we're honored to have you, man. Uh, you know, honored it's, uh, to have you. Yeah, it's great to have uh, you on. Really, how you How you holding up during the, all this stuff, man? Uh it's fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, what a What a depressing world right now. Um, but you know, making making it the best I can. You know, I. Shit, what else are you going to do? Yeah, well, I got to say, Rex, I mean, like one of the best things about this pandemic has been following you on Twitter and, and <laughs> oh, shit. seeing this this massive account you've become. You've become what's commonly referred to as an influencer. Yeah, so <laughs> stupid. So <laughs> stupid. I bet, I bet you have a, mi- a million Mitch McConnell stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please. Yeah. I, um, I, I thought, I wonder what Daryl might ask me first or say first and it went straight to mitch mcconnell right well, where we, we have to man because you are like the, you know fuck one you of guys. the most famous play- people from kentucky <laughs> and we want to know like what the fuck is kentucky thinking by uh, having this asshole in office <laughs> you're like you're like van no helsing in, you're like van helsing in dracula you're like i'm gonna get you. Oh, shit. oh shit oh shit i'm gonna get you oh i i hope i hope i hope someday God, he, he may outlive me, though. I mean, oh, Jesus, nice. God, he, he's been in been in office since I was sixteen. Jesus, and they just Junior keep reelecting him. My God, man! I mean, it's insane. Like, I don't know. I don't know if um, if you saw. I think we follow each other on Twitter, but like, I uh, I yesterday on PayPal, I requested two thousand dollars from him. Whatever. <laughs> 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 Since he, he he's the one that vetoed the bill for the extra yeah, two thousand. Yeah, dude, it's, it's it's insane. And it's so I just, just I sent him a request. And the <laughs> the memo was insane. why would you know you, you know I'm not an astute political observer. I know I have surface information about what's going on, but why in the world would somebody do something quite like that? I mean, that's like stuff out of a comic book. That's like stuff out of a yeah. Batman. 
Yeah, he's a villain. Yeah. He's like the he's the yeah. biggest villain in the United States right now. But the, yeah. Trump. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's just at this point, for whatever reason, I think Kentucky, some Kentuckians, many apparently believe that that he he gives the state some kind of panache mm. and and that blows me away. He even the, said is it. The, he, is that the Churchill Downs crowd? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, maybe. Wearing evening uh, gowns at the horse yeah, race. It's it's just uh, insane. He, in, he even said it uh, during one of his only debate here. He said, uh, you know, I give uh, Kentucky a chance to fight above their class, punch above their class. What? Do you? <laughs> do you? Really? Dude, we're, had... we're, we're the last in almost everything. I mean... Ugh. It's just it's it's maddening, but and it, it's you know. funny because most of the people I've ever met from Kentucky fucking hate the guy. <laughs> I know, I know. I How can't, does he I don't keep getting reelected? I don't know anybody that goes. Oh, you know. In fact, I do know one person who is. You know, I, I don't know, but he's 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 so far right. I almost don't take him seriously. So there's that. I want to ask a, a, a sort of a random question about yeah. Kentucky. Is there really such a thing as a hillbilly mafia? You know, uh, I <laughs> no, think there selling is. Those That's, bills. That sounds like yeah. a great sitcom. Oh, yeah. Doesn't oh, it? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> you yes. can write a sitcom that, called The Hillbilly Mafia. I for sure believe that. Um, yeah. The, you know, there were millions and millions of pills that, that came in here. Um, and... I know when I was strung out and buying pills, uh, you know, it got to the point where, uh, you know, I was on painkillers for 14 or 15 years. I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, but, I, you know, at some point they can't, your, your pharmacists can't keep up, you know, or your doctors, what you can't keep up. You shop doctors and all that. And then you just got to start buying them. And I remember I was buying them and the way I was doing it, I was getting with my dealer guy. And I'd go sit with him and we'd sit right out, out behind a Walgreens that was open till like one o'clock in the morning. And we would get them right from out of there. A tech would come out with two big, you know, the great big bottles hadn't been opened, unsealed. Um, and you could go to different places here in town uh, or, or and, and, and in Arizona. I was in both places. And it was just a pill. It's a pill mill. It was a... It, it was a legal drug cartel. I mean, it is. Purdue Pharma is, in my opinion, um, or Big Pharma. Crazy. So you did, you did 14, 13 years? On- I, did, uh, I did about a year and a half on OxyContin and uh, from about 99 to mid-2000 or so, not yeah-ish, right when they were new. And... Uh, I was also doing uh, uh, taking a massive amount of Vicodin. I remember when I checked into rehab, um, and I was not a partier. I, I I didn't drink. I didn't. I wasn't a smoker all through my playing career. But here I've retired, and and now yeah. I'm in rehab a year and a half later. But at when I checked into rehab, I was take. I said, "What are you taking?" I said, "I'm taking about ten OxyContin a day and about forty Vicodin a day," and I was just. Damn, fortunately, I didn't drink. You know, I'd be dead right away. But I was chewing them. Just I didn't even take them with water or anything like that. Just trying to get them into my system faster. Thought it, you know, I I felt smarter and funnier and 
and a better dad and all that shit, better husband, right, initially, you know. (laughs) And then it just goes to fucking hell. (laughs) I had a Percocet situation that went on for almost two years, and I remember the first year being the Daryl that I always wanted to be. (laughs) I returned all my emails, and I tidied up after dinner, and I, I... I got I I did shows and got these standing ovations. <laughs> I know, man. And I, I thought, know. you know, I, I would have fantasies about a Rubbermaid garbage can filled with these yellow Percocets. <laughs> and, uh, it, and then and and undetectable. That that's the genius part. Yeah. You know, you you don't smell like weed. You don't smell like liquor. You know, Show, you, yeah. You, it, yeah. I'm showing up for everything. Yeah. Ultra prepared. Yeah, I, I give you I guys swear. both credit though. You've you've both have come overcome this. I mean, it's it's impressive yeah. to to come out of it on that, the other side. That's a question I would want to ask you. Yeah, have you ever done anything harder with more difficulty than getting off opiates? Because no. me getting off opiates, I no. can't even describe. No, and I've done it. I've done it three different times. Uh, oh, uh, I, I did it in. Uh, like oh one, two thousand, two thousand one. I did it again in like oh five, and then I did it again in two thousand and fourteen. And every time, the first time I went in, I told them what I was taking. Uh, they they had a shift change, and this was right when it was new. OxyContin was new, and I I said to uh, they had a shift change. One nurse is telling another nurse what's he on, and I overheard her say uh, he's on OxyContin. And they went oh. And she went, why? They were just starting to have these oxy patients come in. And she said, "Um, why? Uh, She said, what's that like? She said, just like coming off of heroin. And when she said that, I, she said, it's going to be seven days of just hell. I didn't understand it. And when I heard her say heroin, and just for whatever reason, I've never done heroin. I've really never done anything harder than, than this. I did mushrooms once, but yeah. Uh, but I, when she said that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And it was, it was throwing up and hot and cold and the days run together and it's, it's hell. Yeah. Well, that's also yeah. why that there, there's a big spike in heroin use and heroin overdoses yeah. because Oxycontin's become too expensive to get. So a lot of people start just going for the cheaper version, which is heroin. And that's why you keep seeing a lot of heroin overdoses. And and, and then absolutely. you see the professionals from Midtown. I'm thinking of a person that I know that has not ever had a predisposition for overindulgence in any way and gets in a car accident and takes enough of them for six months. And now he's got a problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I remember when I called up, there's a, a, a facility in Connecticut I called up and I was telling about what I was doing and what I wanted to do and she said okay and we'll you know you come in and we'll get you started on the methadone plan uh-huh. and I said wait a second methadone no 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 methadone yeah, methadone no, I'm not doing methadone she goes that's all we have for drug addicts she said if you've been doing Percocet for a year and a half to two years every day you're a drug addict Boy, did that sober me yeah. up. And I, yeah, and right. I, I sat right in this room. I had a nurse come over here. I tried to withdraw right in this room from Percocet. It got to the point where the nurse said, you know what? If you want to drink a bottle of Jack right now, you go right ahead. And I'm going to tell you something. 
I drank that Jack, and that didn't help. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're talking about. That's right. A bottle of Jack didn't even touch this bitch. Didn't touch Jesus Christ, Christ, man. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I remember trying it initially, you know, those first few months where all of a sudden I'm no longer in charge of when to take the pill. The pill's telling me when it's time to go. And I start going, so I'm waking up in, in the night. And, you know, I'm, and I reach under the mattress and I pull out a pill. I chew it up. I go back to sleep. It's just so stupid. But I, I remembered at a point going, okay, it, this, <laughs> this can't be good for you. Uh, uh, and trying to cut back. <laughs> Fuck that. Forget that. The sec- I, I, and what I learned right away was the second I do fine for hours, maybe, or a day, the second any adversity came up of any kind or emotional shit, where's the fucking pill? And it was just like a, you know, little miracle there for a little while. Fucking terrible. I remember someone saying when I was in rehab the last time, I was like, and I remember hearing it, them saying, you know, drugs are fun and it's fun with problems. And then it's just fucking problems. So that's about it. Yeah. I, 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 I had to leave New York. I mean, I went to, uh, finally went to Betty Ford and, they told me that I could be on their sort of sub. I, mean, I shouldn't talk about what they did, but I didn't want to be on Subutex or Suboxone for the rest of my life. I was on Suboxone for ten years. That that was my last thing. That and for ten how that, years. How so, did you get off of that? Uh, I went to rehab and learned in rehab that what the what they do is, and some people do is they'll even take that those Suboxone strips uh, and they'll melt them. Melt them and shoot them. Melt them in a spoon and then shoot the Suboxone. Oh, my God. I I learned all kinds of – rehab is – it's a terribly funny place. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is. I mean, (laughs) I'm sorry. And, you know, know, some of them are are really great. Oh, yeah. I I had good health insurance. I went to good places. Right. And I got fucking help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it was able to help both of you, man. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be five. Happy. I'll be if next uh, June 10th will be five years. Fantastic for you. Good job, buddy. Oh That's God. awesome. I, I, by the way, I watched your uh, doc just last night. I I couldn't stop. It was amazing. It is amazing. Um, I I had no I I, I knew, you know, I I knew. Probably what most people think, you know. Oh, Daryl Hammond's on TV. Uh, uh, probably got a drug problem. <laughs> That's what I thought, you know. <laughs> oh, what drugs, alcohol? I don't know. It really and is an I, amazing documentary. Oh, and then I watched it, and holy fuck, man! Uh, I, you know. Uh, that, what I like that's the thing about rehab is you sit in there and you're in there. And everybody is, you know, they're a little bit crazy right away, at least. And uh, you're kind of sitting there and you're sizing everybody up. I'm not as fucked up as him. Right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, <laughs> okay. He's pretty fucked up. <laughs> but man, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was, it, it really did help me. I, I, especially the last time I, I went in and uh, anyway, long story no, no. for you. No, I love these uh, stories. I, I was going to tell you, I, I was going to tell you a story. Um, about a guy called the son of Ted, <laughs> the rehabs. But I want to hear your story. 
if you uh, if you're well, if you got no, the energy yeah. and you're interested. Oh yeah, no, I was um I, I had been you know shoot I've got four kids they're all twenty twenty two twenty six and twenty eight all same wife we were married for twenty years and for man ten of those years I was not very. Uh, aware and I was, you know, pretty getting down into the drug addiction. Um, and then everything just came crashing to a halt. I enter rehab and I've been in there. I've detoxed now. I've, so I've been in there a good seven or eight days. And now I'm starting to kind of integrate into groups and whatnot. And um, I end up, you know, in these classes, different classes with, you know, the same, you know, few guys and and whatnot. And within days, uh, I started, I started developing it just a terrible sore throat. And, you know, I felt like I was sick and they started, they put me on an antibiotic. They, whatever it was not getting better. Another day goes by and I realized that, holy shit, I've been laughing again. And I had been laughing for two or three days at different points with these guys, you know, at lunch or whatever it was, where just belly laughing about things. But, you know, guys, women who are, you know, smart, intelligent, funny people, just really down and out. And uh, but I I wasn't sick. I just hadn't laughed like that in years. (laughs) It had been years. And I. I love to laugh. I mean, it's just keeps me from crying, of course, in many ways, but I couldn't, but that's what it was. I was laughing again and I found something enjoyable other than drugs. You know, the interesting thing with me is I've, I've known many nights where I could go to a 12 step meeting and then afterwards hang out with people like me. And we talk about our problems of the day. And I can remember um, going home feeling almost symptom-free for a couple of hours. Like, I wasn't this crazy, paranoid, right. sick fuck that just wanted to overindulge and, and uh, without consequences. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, that, I think that's what I learned when I was in the last time was that, you know, I should I, – I just wasn't a drug addict. I was a basketball addict. I was a gambling horse racing addict from the time I was 20. Uh, I was up uh, during the season when I didn't play horses. I was a food addict. It was just, um, uh, you know, sort of lucky that I ran up and down a basketball court all day. But I lived on room service, room service, room service. I was an addict from the jump. It was just stupid, dumb luck that none of that derailed my (laughs) basketball. Uh, but the second it was over and I had to fill a void, I'm sure. Um, oh yeah. I remember of, that. Yeah. Right. Uh, you one, know, day, and, um, one day, one <laughs> day the phone stops ringing and there's no more limo rides <laughs> and there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. And you're finding people aren't returning your calls and, and you're like, boy, I, I, I need a shot and a, a beer and a shot. Something. Damn right. <laughs> something yeah, right? to make this thing better. I know. And I didn't realize that you'd started, you'd started drinking when you were young, pretty teenager ish. Yeah. 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 See, um, I, 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 I for sure would have, I'm sure if I'd have tried it and done all that, I was just, I believed what my dad told me, you know, 
don't sure. you don't do that don't mess with that and it's you know don't have a girlfriend girl girls are <laughs> girls are a, a distraction you know, okay, okay yes sir so i'd sneak and have a girlfriend you know yeah well, i'm <laughs> but, surprised you didn't uh, party especially down at uh at the university of kentucky man i couldn't i, I was oh, oh i couldn't get into the bars i was too young and then if, uh, my teammates could get in but i was the you know great white hope from the state and uh i'd go to the bar with them just to watch them drink and mm. you know look at girls and chase girls and all that and i'd get turned away they'd say rex if we let you in here someone's going to call the police and we'll get raided and so yeah. i it was a really weird college existence here yeah. Yeah, how, no, how was it? oh sorry go ahead Daryl. No, please chris i was gonna say how was it like you know coming you're from kentucky right you were born mm-hmm. and raised like how was it like you know coming up and being this this person like i mean you were like a big deal like coming out like especially in college man people people were like you know like the great white hope (laughs) um like how how was that for you like i mean was there any did you ever have like any other like um thoughts about going somewhere else you know or or did you always want to stay there i grew up a louisville fan i was a daryl griffith and uh um denny crumb fan and they started recruiting me first and i had actually committed to louisville oh really uh-huh. As a junior. And then uh, they, Kentucky changed coaches and a lot of other shit. And I ended up going to Kentucky. Um, but I didn't. Re- so I, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a Kentucky basketball player. I, I dreamed of getting a scholarship. That was it. I didn't dream of playing in the NBA. I didn't even I lived in Kentucky. I never saw an NBA game until I played in one. Oh, shit, uh, really? I, yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. Uh, we, when I was growing up in Florida playing baseball, there were guys that we would play with in our youth leagues that were so much better than the rest of us. <laughs> and they ended up in the major leagues. Right. Okay. Were you, was it like that with you? Just uh, so much better than everyone else in high school? In, in high school? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was boring. It you was were really boring. highly recruited, though, too, out of high school. Yeah, I was supposed to be the best player in the country. I mean, and, you know, that or me or one or two others. And, you know, any one of us could have been, I guess. Uh, I would, again, my dad coached. He, I was, he never played basketball with me. He, he, he played, he played in the old ABA. He was a really good player in, in college and, and, and younger. But, I just wanted to play basketball. I'd watch his teams practice and I probably learned how to do a lot of the stuff before, uh, I realized it was hard, you know, just watching the other from the time I'm five. Weren't you kind of in love with the game though? Oh yeah, I did. I, I I loved the game. Uh, you know, I loved a lot of sports, but I know that I loved the feeling that basketball gave me. Mm-hmm. better than the other ones. I, now I like the sport and how fast it is and all of that, that that's and short attention spans. Great. You know, uh, baseball really wore me out early. Uh, but I don't know, lost my train of thought. Where was I? Sorry. <laughs> baseball wore you out early. Baseball wore me out early because it was, um, I, I was going to say, I, I enjoyed the, the, I was, I was better. I was, I was better than the other players and I didn't, I was kind of better in some of the other sports, but not like I was in basketball. And so there was probably some allure to that. 
uh, and I enjoyed just playing and, you know, I was, I could run and jump and I enjoyed, uh, kind of showing that, um, athleticism. And so it kind of, it, it kind of fit me. I don't mm. know. It must, it must have been cool though. You must have been like a rock star on I, campus, I, man. You know, like oh no, it like, wasn't oh, Rex cool. Chapman, that, holy shit! That that part was not cool. I remember no, no like uh, another story. Uh, my freshman year at Kentucky, a lot of the people from my hometown of Owensboro, a uh, town of about fifty, sixty thousand, great town to grow up in for sports. Um, you know, we had a cross town rival. And those those guys hated me, man. They hated me because you're and, so good, probably. Well, and, and these, these were not guys I played against. These were just students at the other school who played other sports and stuff. We all grew up same grade, or they were a grade ahead of me. I get to Kentucky, very first class I walk into is a great big auditorium, and I walk in and I'm late. I'm like two minutes late. I'm in a panic, and I go in and I bust the door open. It's like in a big yeah church kind of uh, theater. And I bust in and open the door. And one of these guys, I won't name him, stands up front row. He, I mean, he's hated me for a few years now. Turns around and now I'm on campus at Kentucky and everybody, at, at this point, everybody knows me. And uh, he turns around and goes, Rex, come on, buddy. I got your seat right down here. All right. Thanks, all all of a sudden, this dude's kissing yeah. your ass to be a friend <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it was a surreal. I would be on campus with, you know, a girl. Uh, and you know, other girls would come up and want to do autographs and pictures and shit. And this was before cell phones. It was just, it was stupid. It was stupid. Uh, <laughs> okay. Stupid in the good sense. Now, yeah, and I took full, don't get me wrong, I didn't drink, but I took full <laughs> advantage. <laughs> Full advantage. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I think a lot of us would have done the same yeah. thing, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> the, the the big fantasy for me was always to be as good as I wanted to be, and I never was as good as I wanted to be at that. <laughs> I came closer in comedy, you know. But, oh, uh, you did it! You did it! I mean, yeah. I, we I played with uh, Clem Hurdle. I mean, he was just a little oh behind. so good. But I played with uh, Bruce Bochy every game I ever played as an amateur athlete. That's, right. That's pretty cool. And to see these two guys hit a baseball or throw like, a baseball like a man. It's like something different, right? It's the crack too, the crack of the bat. You just go, Oh my God, is that what a pro sounds like? Yeah. And, and again, i you know, I grew up uh, playing against Michael. We had the same agent, David Falk forever. And uh, Michael and I would go way. He called, he called me for Dean, uh, when I was in high school, Michael would have been maybe a rookie in the NBA, called me to go to Carolina for Dean. So we go back that far. I, I really didn't break a sweat in high school very much of the time. And, you know, it was a little harder in college. Or it was harder in college, but you're playing with better players, which makes it easier. NBA, yeah, I was middle of the road. Um, you know, I all-star-ish one year. Yeah, but you, you also were, um, you were playing by injuries, a, too. Well, yeah, yes, but I can, I'm can. i just trying to, as a high schooler, man, I, it was, I would go out there and just fart around. Michael, Michael, he, he wasn't quite that way with the rest of us in the pros, but he was kind of that way. Like, he could embarrass you 
he was that much. He was just different, man. Different. His big old fucking hands. Think about it. If there's a a shot goes off the rim, glancing shot, and it heads it's heading toward the corner out of bounds, and nine of us are going after it, all or ten of us are, we're all going after it with two hands. If you can go after it, the ball's going away from you now, and suck it there with one while you're already turning to go the other way and you're gone. It's a whole different game. Like His it's hands, a soft, like it's it, a tennis ball. Exactly, and, and that that's what. When I first came in the league, I would just back off of him because he couldn't really shoot. And it's because his hands that he became a, a really great shooter with those hands is some kind of testament to his work ethic. Uh, but I'm telling you, like, he would grab you sometimes. You know, he he was famous for kind of pushing yeah. off or holding and grabbing. But I'm what I'm saying is it was like – it, it would feel like uh, remember how it felt when your mom or your dad would grab your wrist as a kid. That's uh, you probably don't, Daryl. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, think I, I got it. I okay, think I got all right, it. All right. But uh, it, it was like a vice grip, and you were just completely thrown out of the play. And he's strong, uh, and the bounciest human I've ever been around. Just his crazy electric body uh, was, and yeah. I, anyway. I did get to see him play when he was with the Washington Wizards, and I'd only been to one NBA game, and I was sitting very, very close, and I could see, um, you know, physical specimens that looked almost like like computer graphics. Like, yeah. how does someone that large move that way? I know. And that fast. And then the most startling thing of all was when they, you, they, everybody would be under the basket, and he would go up for a shot. People were hitting them. Oh, yeah. It was a different game. I know. Yeah. We were beating people up back in the 80s. And and you know that sound. You know that sound. Yeah. Yeah. Of a really strong guy. Yeah. Another really strong guy. Absolutely. Like it in the world. That's also why he struggled against Detroit. I mean, Detroit was that dirty team that was like, you know, grimy and like. They, everybody you know, struggled against yeah, Detroit. That's they did that to everybody. They, they were and, very you know, physical, I, man. I can't imagine the guy like Michael. Well, for myself, I wish I played in today's. I love today's NBA. Uh, I, I I do. Stephen Curry is one of my. Del Curry is one of my best friends. And Stephen was born my rookie year. I used to babysit Steph when he was little. <laughs> that's pretty uh, cool. Uh, but you know, back then. I can't imagine Michael playing in a league like today where you can't touch anybody. He'd average 50 points a night. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a you different mean, you game. Mean where they, you mean where they couldn't they couldn't hit him? You can't hit him. You can't hit anybody anymore, really. So he would just uh, be shooting you can't, basketball. Yeah, you, you're just at his mercy, and he was going at you all the time. So it, you just have to guess right in order to guard someone like him. And ah. You know, wow. yeah, yeah. Some statement. Let me yeah, ask you. Let me really ask you this, Rex. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, this is a question I'm sure you get all the time. And uh, is he, in your opinion, the greatest basketball player you've ever seen play? He's definitely the greatest I've ever played against. Okay. Uh, uh, and you know, people are are quick to throw. I know we're older now, but Larry Bird was really fucking good um, in a in a different way. Uh, Michael and I, I played against Larry. I played against Magic. I, I played against Kobe, um, Vince Carter. All the all these guys spanning you know 
two or three decades, uh, Michael was different and just athletically and those hands. And then I'm sure you guys watched the documentary that oh, absolutely his, his mindset, uh, for, for instance, his, uh, we played them. I, I played one year in Miami and we played them in the playoffs and they beat us like a JV team three best, of, best of five. They beat us three zero, but about two weeks before the playoffs, we played them at our place. We only had like eight guys available. We'd made a trade late in the year. And I I had a really good game. I got like 39 and we beat them the year they went 72 and 10. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, then they, you know, we, but we played them one more time in between then and the playoffs. And I didn't, you know, Michael, again, we used to night before games, we'd go bowling, we golf buddies, all this, but different teams and all that. Uh, we play them the next, the very next time after I've had a big night and we beat them. And the referee at the jump ball, the referee threw the ball in the air and Michael stepped right as the ball was being thrown up, stepped right over top of me and cracked me right in the sternum with his Ooh. elbow. And I went, oh, fuck. Oh shit. Oh, it's going to be like that tonight. And I, and guess what? It was just like that tonight. He got like 40 in three quarters, didn't play the fourth. I went like three for 13 for 11 points or something, but he'd been thinking about that for apparently a week or two. You know, that, that he had a problem. We, uh, he, he launched a preemptive strike. Yeah, he held grudges on yeah. everybody. And, man. and I, and I, dude, I, when he, when he was, mo- and he got every call. He got a lot of calls. Oh yeah, he's but a superstar. You, you you earn that. Yeah, you earn that. Yeah. Anyway, like Ted Williams used to be in Reggie Jackson after two strikes, the um, there's their eye was so good they're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. That's <laughs> so good. Was he your favorite uh, person to play against, or who did who did you personally I, love to play I against? Enjoyed- Oh man, I wish I could have played against everyone worse than me all the time. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I enjoyed playing against everybody. It was a lot of fun. I, I for whatever reason, was wired to be competitive, and uh, um, I, you know, I, guys that were difficult were at, at my size. I was six three or six four playing a two yard in the NBA in the eighties and nineties, most of those guys are six, 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 seven, six, eight, Glenn Rice, um, Clyde Drexler, those, those guys. And we, it was a post-up league too, at the time, uh, you know, you a lot more post-up. So I'd get posted up a lot. You had to learn, you just got to learn how to fight. Uh, there was nothing like it. Greatest job in the world. Summers are off. Um, yeah. very, very fortunate. I still can't, you know, kind of can't believe it happened. <laughs> I was I was fortunate enough to watch you play in Phoenix. Thanks, man. Yeah, I lived in Phoenix uh, going to in high school and college and I uh, was able to watch you play with the Suns, man. It was, it was fun to watch that. Those teams were fun back then. Oh, yeah. You know, like, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash. Stevie Nash is uh, coaching the Brooklyn Nets now, and my son is there coaching in the video room. So, oh, really? That's pretty uh-huh. cool, man. My, I, I my live in Brooklyn. <laughs> Steve, Steve was a rookie. Uh, the year I signed as a free agent in Phoenix, I'd have been eighth or ninth year. And then he didn't play for the first couple of years because I was playing Jason Kidd and Kevin Johnson and, and, and Steve was playing behind those guys. Mm-hmm. But during that time, my son was about three or four. 
And he used to go on road trips with us. Danny Ainge was our coach. Danny let our kids go on trips. Steve would babysit Zeke, my son, over there. Now my son's 28, and Steve hired him in, in uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome, man. I can't, uh, I, can't wait to, I can't wait to be able to go to a game again and see, oh. you know, especially the Brooklyn Nets, man. I mean, I live, I live in Brooklyn. Um, Daryl is in New York. So, like, let's face it, the Knicks are not going to fucking be back anytime soon. So <laughs> like, no, but, hey, but, when, but, this, but when we get the vaccine, when we get the vaccine and all that shit, let's go to a game, guys. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Was there, a moment, was there a moment in your life of, let's say, as an athlete, because I know you're doing great now in social media, but <laughs> was there like a moment when you were like, uh, hey, I did pretty, I did, I did pretty good Just of self-acknowledgement, like, you know what? I played pretty well. I did pretty well, you know, like me performing for a president, for instance. Yeah. After that, I said, okay, I did all right. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm weirdly fucked up to, to I, I almost look at every, how come I didn't do that better? <laughs> and so, um, I, and, and that takes me back, honestly, it takes me back to my dad. And uh, he, he was, he was, he is, he's still alive, he's 77. Uh, he is an asshole. I mean, he was a great, a great basketball coach. Great coach. Won titles in uh, Division Two titles. Great high school coach. A great coach. He almost never got to see me play because his teams played all the time. And so, uh, but when he did come, <laughs> uh, I, I, I never could play well. Uh, I, or I, I played well, I'm sure. He never thought I did. No. And one night I'm, I was a junior in high school and I was for sure, well, looking back, I was for sure the best player in the state. And at the time I started to believe that I was, and you know, we had ju other juniors and seniors who were really good, but I, I just, I had it kind of figured out. I thought, and for high school, I certainly did. We played at a little gym called Butler County one night and my dad got to go to the game and I got something like, 47 points and 21 rebounds and 10 blocks and five steals and just something yeah, gaudy. Triple double. Yeah. It's something gaudy. And yeah. I remember on the bus on the way back uh, home uh, thinking, oh, yeah, going to have to love me up tonight, you know. And so I walk in, I open the door. And he's sitting there on the, I can see it, sitting there smoking a cigarette, drinking a Coke, eating a sandwich my mom has for sure made for him. And uh, he, not a word, doesn't even acknowledge, he's watching the news. I walk around him and into the kitchen, ask my mom, like, it's something, she goes, I don't know, I don't know. And I go back out, get in his line of vision. And so I, he knows I'm there now. And finally, I just go, What'd you think? He goes, Oh, you want to know what I fucking think? I want to know when you're going to take a goddamn charge. Are you ever going to take a charge? And said, get up, get up. And I stood up and he said, this is how you do it. He said, stand there. My mom runs in and goes, guys, stop it. Stop it. Wayne, stop it. Stop it. I went up to my room. 15 minutes later, my mom comes up and I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. And uh, she puts her arm around me and almost makes me cry. She puts her arm around me and, and she goes, honey, I'm, he, he doesn't. And I said, get off of me. 
If he doesn't tell me, how the fuck am I going to know? If he doesn't tell me, how the fuck am I going to not, how am I going to know? And I took up for him like an asshole. My mom was trying to comfort me. He was definitely wrong. Yeah. I mean, he was wrong. Now he could have said that after he loved me, I said, man, you played a good game and all that. Now, you ever gonna take a charge, buddy? Yeah, he there's, there's done, a way to say it. He could have threaded the needle a little better. He he had no needle threading ability. So um, yeah, but yeah, to answer your question, no, I, I think back about all the opportunities squandered and you know shit like that. You know, the, my my senior year in high school, my first uh, six times up, I struck out. My big senior year. I had been playing some great summer ball, so senior year is a big deal. Oh, yeah. I, struck, I struck out my first six times. The seventh time um, in a home game, I hit um, uh, I hit a, an, impre- an impressive home run. You know, for, for yeah, that. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It was an impressive home run. Right-hander? Right-hander. And okay. I go home to my dad um, – and he won't even have a conversation with me. And I'm not, I, I've never heard another person say that before. He wouldn't talk to me. I came out of the slump with a big home <laughs> mammoth, a fucking mammoth blast and nothing. And I, nothing. I wondered what that was all about. I, Silence. It's amazing, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll remind my dad of some of these stories at times. I, I always tell them now in front of other people so that because he, and he'll he immediately he'll, he'll just go, God, I'm an asshole, such an asshole. So now he's realizing it. Now, he's also been on Zoloft for the last 10 years, so he's way better than he ever was before. But, you know, he'll I, he, he acknowledges now all the stupid, you know, I all the stupid see, that's that I do. I think that's incredible, though, that he does that. I, I do too. I, he's getting better. I, I'm telling you. And we've yeah. never, we, when I started making money when I was about 19 or 20, which was, I mean, come on, I, I was making, I, I don't know, my first, uh, I, I think I made 700 grand a year. It was my first contract. And I was like the third highest paid player on the team. This is in the late eighties. And, um, it, within a year or two, he stopped coaching. And so, you know, we'd, he'd get a business and basically I was kind of, basically we changed roles and, and I became, I think more and more resentful over time that, you know, he didn't, I don't know that I I was just rudderless kind of making it up as I went. Role reversal is a real weird thing. Yeah. And so, and I think kind of, you know, and I started footing most, if not all the bill for everything. And, uh, so I think that there probably were those times he, he may have wanted to say things to me or did say them where I just was like, fuck you. And I, I, you know, I, it, it, it got that kind of toxic and. Yeah. You know, know. it's, it's weird how that my father's, Sorry, it's weird how my father's passing was ended up being the most beautiful 
experience. Oh, that that, that that choked me up last the night. It really did. The, the the very first thing that you said, and I, I'm going to draw a blank on it, but when you introduced him in the in the story, you I think you said he picked you up one day, uh, got in the car with him, and he he just said something to you, and you know it was very kind of how you how you doing, buddy, or something like that, and I could tell just from that very little bit i i remember going man i hope the dad turns out to be a good guy and just how i wrapped up was it was fucking beautiful dude yeah i mean he's on his deathbed and he says i let my anger be more important to me than my children i felt like i had a dad my whole Uh, life just from that uh, just from one moment one moment jesus beautiful you got your dad you got your dad walking around going Oh, I yeah, mean, I, I, I know. It is. It's beautiful. It, it is. is. It is. Well, it's a beautiful documentary. If anybody that's listening Absolutely. isn't aware, I mean, most people already know uh, what we're talking about. But if you're not aware of it, it's a documentary Daryl has on Netflix. It's called Cracked Up. Uh, it's still streaming right now. Beautiful documentary. Uh, very cool to watch. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's gave me a lot of res- more, even more respect for Daryl. Uh, bef- oh, yeah. you know, before I started doing this podcast with him and I was just like blown away about to learn more about him and, and see what you've overcome, Daryl. So it's, uh, it's definitely respectful. Well, it, both you guys. It wasn't without help from the greatest doctors in the world and my health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> provided okay. by uncle Lauren Michaels. <laughs> hey, hey, and my, got, long, I, my long association with him. I've got. I've got two or three friends out there exactly the same. I mean, I was essentially homeless for a little while, living on their couches uh, and rebounding. And, you know, now, granted, it was at Hermosa Beach right on the Strand in one of one in one of their, you know, spare houses. There was there was worse. There were worse ways to try to recover. You know, I, yeah. and the NBA, the NBA and the retired players association, the stuff that they have in place, I'm proud of the NBA. You know, it's not a perfect league, uh, but I, I'm, I'm proud of how they do things. And they, they allowed me TNT and NBA TV allowed me to recover with as much dignity as anybody could possibly do it. And it's great. Yeah. So I feel very, very, very fortunate. Yeah, I think the NBA is doing a good job in, in general, and I think that um, I, I really respect um, Commissioner Silver now for yeah, all the moves he's made. I mean, he really made a name for himself with the whole, you know, Clippers fiasco mm-hmm. with the owner with the Clippers. But, um, you know, I mean, the bubble situation, look how fucking fantastic that was. I mean, it oh, was, yeah. you know, not only was it successful without, you know, then none of the players got corona during when they played in the bubble down in, in Florida. But um, it was just fun to watch the, the games in the bubble. They were like, no, because there, there was, they took away the home advantage. So they were just guys I was just pleased. Playing. Yeah, I was pleased with how it came off just from an entertainment standpoint. You know, they, yeah. they did as, uh, you know, they piped in the music or the crowd, the crowd noise. noise and yeah. all that stuff. But uh, from guys there, man, I – well, Daryl, I mean, you, you know, uh, right now you haven't, you guys haven't been able to go out and be in crowds and shit like that. Imagine at this stage of your career, a vet. So think LeBron James. You're going to go out there and play in a gym. There's nobody in the fucking gym. Nobody. This is a made for TV kind of thing that's going on out here. And, you know, they were in that bubble. And I look, I'm not, 
trying to, you know, poor athletes, <laughs> far be it for me, but you know, these are grown men away from their families, uh, for more than a hundred days in that bubble where you can't go out, you can't do anything. You can't see anyone. Uh, it, it was just, uh, Except for the one, dude who, the one dude who went to the strip club and, yeah. got, and got wings. That's what again, he said. <laughs> again, it's gonna be, it'll be interesting to see how this season goes with guys out on their own. I yeah. get it. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Definitely will. <laughs> You're telling me the NBA players aren't going to go to a strip joint. Oh, yeah. I mean, NBA well, there's, players there's aren't going to go. Come on, man. Yeah, there's players are getting caught already. I mean, look, uh, Dwayne Haskins, who plays for the uh, NFL, or he did anyway, um, he got caught at a strip club after his team lost, like the day after his team lost, or even that night, I think it was. And this was last weekend, and they were two weeks ago, and they had to start him the next week because they had no one else. Everybody was hurt. And then the minute that they got somebody back, like Alex Smith, they they cut him. They're like, dude, you can't be putting the team at risk by going to strip clubs. And, and it's like, but you're a professional athlete. Shit's going to happen, man. <laughs> like, I had teammates who had their pregame meals at Magic City in Atlanta. Oh, God. I, mean, I can all imagine that place. Know, is, they just I, go and then head right back after the game to and from. <laughs> what, is, what is Magic City? It's like the uh, biggest strip club in the in the country. Yeah. It's in yeah. Atlanta. Okay. It's like yeah. it's very famous. Like, you know, the, the, the strippers there make like 200 grand a year. Like, it's like something mm. insane. You know, and it's 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 mentioned in every single rap song you can think of. <laughs> like, I don't know, but uh, wh- who do you think before you know uh, before we wrap it up here? Who do you think, um, in your opinion, is like the the next like big player that you that you love watching and that's going to make a a big difference? Oh uh, well, you know, I I I I didn't mean to slight LeBron. LeBron, I think, is amazing. Uh, he's an amazing basketball player. I don't understand the hate for LeBron <laughs> that's out there with some people. He, he's, you know, kid from Akron, single mom, lived all over Akron. Um, he's done he's a lot never, for the community. He's too. never made a fucking mistake ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's he's not had one. You know, they tried to kill him over the decision for getting on ESPN saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Oh, is that the worst of it? Yeah. What else is there? He's an amazing dude, and what I and I'm I'm appreciating more and more about him this past year because him stepping out. Now, look, these guys are are, are now in the '80s. Even Michael, he, he wasn't making enough money to to say anything politically and not suffer huge fucking repercussions for it. Um, that these guys are doing this now. It's fucking powerful. I think. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I think that it's motivated uh, many in many cities over the last, you know, six months to have registered to vote. I think it I, I think he made and these guys made a big difference speaking out. And I'm proud of them. Really proud. So, of them. so you were friends with Wes Unseld, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. he was meant a lot to you and he in his passing you wrote um about systemic racism is that something you think about a lot i do um i i you know really i knew from a young age that i had it easier than some of my from a and from a very young age i'll say from eight or nine my dad again then it's a mixed bag 
this was the best fucking experience that I could have had. He he had, he grew up playing basketball in my city, was a good player recruited. He played with and against black players in in Owensboro and they, they were friends. So when I got to be eight or nine, his kids, his friends, kids were eight or nine and they, he'd take me to the projects and I'd spend the day and, or the weekend. And I got to see that, you know, I lived in a four bedroom house and that there were two rooms in this apartment for eight people and the heat didn't work and they might eat once a day. And so I knew I got that from a very young age that there was some, and I didn't really understand it. But as I got older, I realized that, you know, we, I got to be pretty good in basketball around ninth or 10th grade. And whereas my dad coached at the local high school, now mind you, he's gambling horse races every day with these guys' dads over at Ellis Park, thoroughbreds. But my dad coaches the basketball team, uh, the local basketball team. He's got a a good job and all that stuff. So I was able to go to camp. You still got to pay to go to camp, even if you're invited. Um, now, when you get a little older and they want you really bad, you don't. But at this time, so around 10, but my friends, there's no way they were going to be able to go to camp. And this is where recruiters were going to be. So I get on everybody's radar before my friends, and they're just as good as I am at the same time. These guys were really good, and they were really good in high school, and many of them went on to play in college. But I had advantages. I also, you know... Uh, anyway, I do think about it a lot. It, it kind of my privilege bothers me, and I, I've just always kind of found it a shitty way to go through life to not care about someone else's plight if it doesn't directly impact you. And you know, uh, it just baffles me. Yeah, it's it. it I, I remember seeing some instances when I was growing up where there were some kids that wanted to try out for the team late in the season and they weren't given the opportunity to do so, even though within the league's rules, perfectly fine for, for that sort of thing to happen. And they, this one guy tried out and he was such a beautiful player. And I felt like he was better than all of us. And he didn't, you know, yeah, he didn't get in the league. Yeah, dude, I know, man. It's just because uh, he signed up, tried out late. Late. I mean, are you trying to help kids or are you not? That's what you got to go back to. And I mean, come on, let him play. It, it's yeah. just it's it's asinine. You know, I I had a little bit of trouble, and that's you talk about trauma in your doc last night. And I think back, I'm pretty. You know, I, we all think, you know, well. That's just how I grew up. You don't know if it's good or bad. You, uh, but thinking back, I, ha- I had a black girlfriend in high school uh, for a couple of years. And, you know, she was the state track champion, 100 meter champion. Her brother, older brother, played football at UK. You're older than me. Great fucking athlete. And, but she and I went out secretly in high school for two years because people didn't fucking like it. And so, um, when I got to Kentucky, she was here too. Uh, now I wasn't a very good boyfriend, but I really 
liked her and still do. We're still very good friends. Uh, but people didn't fucking like it here. And I, I was counseled several times to whatever I was going to do, do it. How do they put it? Uh, do it, uh, be smart about it. <laughs> really? What's that mean? Asshole. Huh? Tell me, tell me. Like, like you're robbing a bank. Exactly. So, right. And so from a young age, I started being made to feel like I was doing something wrong that I didn't fucking, I knew it wasn't fucking wrong. I knew it, knew it. You're what you, you can, you can cheer for, uh, this team or that team, but you can't love or like some other person because of their color. Get the fuck out of here. So I had this whole kind of push pull. I came out of our arena several times and had inward lovers keyed on the side of my car where I'd just gotten 30 points and we won. So, so so it's just, it's, it's rooted in ignorance, man. Have have you you seen, have you seen any progress in, in, in Lexington or Kentucky? Yeah. have yeah. you seen a change come about at all? I mean, because the South it's, is, is it's pockets of there's pockets of the South that will never change. But you know, in Kentucky, I, I I've been there a few times, and I've I've never. I mean, I didn't grow up there, so I didn't know how how it, I don't live there. But I mean, have have you noticed any any sort of? Yeah, I mean, I really I thought we I thought we were beyond a bunch of this bullshit, but then Trump. Um, oh yeah. Well, so and and I it's hard for me to even you know take up for my state logically uh when when we've got Rand paul and mitch mcconnell as our senators i i got no answers i mean i don't vote for those guys uh but apparently people do well the one good thing about that i the one thing a good thing i see about you is that you you are being proactive on twitter i mean as many fun videos as you post up you still do post uh you know genuine good opinions that i think you know and and, and you know stuff that's that com- combats a lot of these listen, garbage listen, things here. Listen, this liberal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, dude, I see, I see, you know, I see a lot of your uh, your posts, and you know, I'm I'm sure with Twitter. I mean, how how has that been for you after everything you've been through? And you're now you're you're recreating. I don't know, like your yourself, I guess, on the internet. Like, what has that experience been like for you on Twitter? You now have a million followers now. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't know. Do you get I, a lot really of good feedback know. or is it a lot of like, uh, I get, I see, I get so much good feedback, so okay. much good feedback and so much bad feedback. It's, <laughs> I mean, pe- people don't like people. People don't like you to have an opinion. Oh yeah. Uh, they I, they like the- you until you have an opinion that they don't agree with. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I've, I I've seen know. them. I've seen them tweet at you like, "Just stick to funny videos, Rex. Oh, so why dude. do you have to get political?" Like, yeah, you know, and, which that's better than stick to robbing the Apple Store. Or stick uh, to you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, stick to sports. Jesus. Now it's gone to stick to funny videos. I can just keep going. Jesus, it's, it's the dumbest shit ever. Yeah. But I mean, for all the shit that you get, you do get a lot of nice people that do follow you. I can see like a lot of people like just genuinely enjoy your your posts and your videos, man. So like you know, Thanks. keep up the good work over there. And Thanks, do you man. still do you still have a show on um, Adult Swim? We do, uh, but we're coming to an end. Adult Swim's been bought, or they've been bought by AT and T or some shit. So we'll be doing it. I think we're going to do it with somebody else going forward. And okay. then I got I, I got a couple podcasts that I'm going to do starting in the new year. I'd love for you guys to come on. 
Absolutely. You want to plug uh, plug one coming up? I mean, no, it's not finalized yet. <laughs> not finalized. Gotcha. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, anybody who who knows Rex or who doesn't know Rex, I should say, uh, you follow him on Twitter. I mean, people, you need to follow you. You got a great Twitter account. Um, you know, and Daryl, is there anything you want to you want to add before we wrap up? Well, um, I've had someone do my Twitter. I wouldn't even know how to log on to Twitter, and I. <laughs> You're getting in there. You're getting into it these days. I was Good talking to my, my assistant one day, and I said, "You know, I don't know. Maybe I'd like to log on to Twitter and see what people are saying." She said, "You don't want that. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You do not want you to don't. read what some people uh, are sometimes, saying. Yeah. Sometimes you get just these these weird people oh, that just say shit. But I think overall, for you, especially since your documentary has come out, Daryl, you get a lot of positive messages oh, yeah. about how you, you he's helped people and how uh, you know a lot of people have um, have have had the similar experiences in their lives. Yeah. And oh yeah, seeing that really you know does uh, open eyes that, for that for was the whole people. idea was to maybe help somebody and you happen from what all, I mean yeah. I've seen a lot of people you know, tweet at you. You are. Man. Yeah, you the are. producers kind of come come to you and say. Hey, what if you could help somebody if you did this? I and mean, you say, well, then why not? Yeah. No brainer. No brainer. And, you, that, know, you know, just me, me watching it last night, I've told three people about it today and yeah. that had that hadn't seen it. And they'll, I, they're going it, to it, it's going to make a difference. It resonates. Yeah. You know, I got buddies here in town, buddies here in town who, you know, they they don't think they have a problem. Walk around town with a pocket full of pills all day. Yeah. You know, three, but three or four in their pocket, just in case. Maybe six or seven, but never more than ten or twelve. <laughs> you know, um, Bill Wilson writes in the big book. I'm sorry to bring that up. Yeah. You can cut this out if you want. But he he is a great writer, and he has this phrase: purposeful forgetting. Yeah, babe, I was in. I was into that stuff. Yeah. I was in the whole lot of shit. The whole shit. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I just hope that oh, yeah. the both of you guys talking about this on our podcast will, you know, also help with other people that maybe be listening and they're, you know, they're on the fence about whether or not they, they realize that they have a problem or maybe they just need that extra push or, or just looking for some sort of inspiration, you know? That, so it's, that's the, that's the important thing, I think. Too, I mean, look, I'm an asshole narcissist. I, I'm a selfish <laughs> asshole narcissist. And but it really took me going to therapy to be able to come to that. I always kind of knew it, but not to this extent. Um, and you got to kind of figure out who you are at some point. Um, and, and and when you're as self-involved, I think, as somebody like I am, you definitely don't think you can ask for help from somebody else. Like, what can you do that I can't do? Let, let, no, you've got to ask for fucking help. You can't yeah. do this alone. Especially during die. especially during the pandemic, man. I mean, You'll there's die. a lot of people that I wish would ask for help. And I Absolutely. hope they do. You know, this whole year has been very hard for everybody. And it's going to be hard for at least another six more months. You, you know, know it, it's not just that you're going to die. You're going to go through something that's going to that's gonna be out of a horror movie before yeah. you die. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when those fucking things get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a grip and you, you know, you just, you become, look, man, I could go on. Listen, I've been work, you know, it. I've been working at SNL off and on for a long time, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot, but when I was in trouble, like, and I realized I was in trouble and that I probably wasn't going to win, that I probably was not going to be able to beat this thing, really feel that in my heart and soul. I could get on a plane, man. Yeah. 
get out anymore. Yeah. Okay. So great. Yeah. So I have to express, you know, gratitude. Absolutely. For being Absolutely. able to do something like that. Now, um, we should, uh, I feel like we should end on a little bit of a high note, if we don't mind. Uh, I, uh, Rex, I told you that we usually ask our guests if you want to tell us a fun story. Maybe you've experienced or witnessed um, something just silly or, or funny or just cool. I mean, I know you've got a lot of them being in the NBA I, for so long. and I, I don't know how cool or funny it is. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know. Um, well, I got arrested in 2014 and mm. I've got handcuffs on and <laughs> they put me in a cell at, uh, in, in Phoenix, put me in a cell with a, a naked dude, a naked <laughs> dude who, who's Great. jacking off, who's jacking off oh, Perfect. in the cell. And you know, they've got, it's just nasty. It's nasty. It's Nothing nasty. makes you reevaluate your life like that. <laughs> well, and, and I've, I've been in this thing. I think I've made a call. Also, I'm really fucked up. And I think I've made a call that I'm back in the cell with this guy. And finally, I got to take a piss. And over near the toilet is, you know, one of those mirror, not mirror things. You know, it's a mirror, but it's, you know, terrible, shitty quality mirror, jail mirror. And uh, I look and I've I've already been through the media has been outside and I've been marched through this fucking jail. And my world's just, you know, upside down. And I look in this mirror and I've got a fucking Nike shirt on that says basketball never stops. <laughs> I'm sure as buck stopped right then. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> and I really, at that time, I, it was funny. I didn't even remember it until like a year ago. Okay. And when I did, I thought, oh, God, that's really funny. But I had buried it. I had buried it in there because it was just fucking demoralizing at the time. Mm. But then I remember that feeling just it's like a hot, just a hot. uh, What the fuck is going on? My I'm I'm toxic. I'm never going to work again. I'm never going to do anything. My kids, I've ruined their lives, you know. uh, But anyway, not a funny story, but it's It's hilarious if it wasn't me. Hilarious. (laughs) It made you laugh. But yeah. it's still, it's that moment of clarity, um, yeah. you know, that we talked about purposeful forgetting. Yeah. Boy, the things I can do with my mind. If I, Dude, I was I'll, using... I'll leave you with one more, a little more positive one. Okay. I was, when I was in rehab the last time, there was a a guy that, and you know, this was, a, you know, it wake you up at night to, you know, check on you and all this stuff. This was also the last time I was in a lockdown facility, lockdown facility, psych patients as well. Um, So there were staff on call all night long, but there was one dude, Clyde, great big, great big dude. uh, And he was just earnest, man, love sports. You know, we'd talk sports and, and whatnot from time to time, but I was really having a tough time with, uh, getting into my reading that they were supplying me with in rehab, uh, starting in on the s- steps and whatnot. And so, uh, I, you know, he came in one day and, you know, everybody was kind of off doing their thing and I was reading some other book or some other something. And he came in, <laughs> he came in and he got down, there were two beds in the room. I was the only one in the room. But uh, got down on all four knees and started getting un- looking under the bed, 
and he got up and went and looked, got on his hands and knees and, and, uh, looked under the other bed. And I said, Clyde, what are you doing? He said, seeing if you found any humility in here. And I just wanted to say, you can go right in and fuck yourself. But that was really funny too. He said, you probably might want to start reading, reading reading something that might help you. And it's a beautiful story. Uh, You know, it's, it's probably not, not very, uh, uh, probably not very original, but I thought it was, and it stayed with me. It is original. That's yeah, definitely original. Under the, the guy looking Dude. under the furniture for Rex's humility, <laughs> and, and he's not <laughs> even he's not he he's not even a nurse or a doctor. He's a guy who works there that's you know doing the grunt work, and he he cared enough about my stupid ass to yeah. pick pick me up at my worst. That's fucking beautiful. That's yeah, awesome. That is man. Well, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing, man. And uh, yeah. we appreciate having on. And uh, for those, like I said earlier, if those don't uh, follow you, they should. At uh, Rex Chapman on Twitter. It's a very fun Twitter. Um, I know you, you tweet about a lot of dogs here. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to show you if I can get him in here. Come here. I have a, we got a five-month-old puppy. I'm trying to get him to come out here. Come on. Get up he there. doesn't want Yeah, he's, he's like, no. he's like, <laughs> here. he's like, yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, see if I can, I can move him down. Oh. See him? There you go. Yeah, he's a good boy. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's Sammy. But yeah, you know, um, a lot of people that may be listening, they don't know that uh, you tweet a lot about dogs and you know, um, you know, fun stuff. And hope to see more blocker charge posts soon. Absolutely. And check out his uh, his his show on Adult Swim, which is uh, on late nights on Cartoon Network. So uh, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast, man. And we'll hope Thanks that uh, we'll hope that you'll it's come good. to see our. Uh, we have to you know have you at one of our shows one of these days. I mean, we'll come down to uh, any. Daryl and I will come Anytime. down to, to uh, I don't know if you've been to Comedy Off Broadway down in Lexington, but uh, I have uh, once. Yeah, it's a great once. comedy club, man. It, it is. It's, My it's sister goes down there a bunch. I did it like two years ago, and they were just they treated us like royalty. And um, man, we hope to we hope to make it down there soon and have you come out. See you, man. Love to, love to. Thanks Absolutely. for having me on, Daryl. Uh, you guys, uh, real uh, it's a real honor. I am. We, we didn't get to talk enough about you. I, I'm a huge fan, and from. Yeah. From way back, I also didn't realize that uh, I didn't realize you were sixty-five. I, I had a guest fifty-five. Uh, oh, he, he's aging reason. well. He's aging very for, well for, for himself. But for whatever reason, I, maybe when did you start on SNL? Ninety-five. Yeah. So in my mind, that that's kind of contemporary with my career, mm-hmm. and so I think I kind of just thought, well, hey, same age as me, and so. <laughs> Anyway, I got I'm a late a start, and I got. Oh, well, thank you. I got a very late start in life. But why don't you have me on your podcast? And absolutely, and we'll, we'll keep the discussion going. I'd love to. I'd Sounds love to. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks awesome. again, man. Well, Appreciate it. Take I'll care, Rex. Great, buddy. See Take you. care. See you. Well, that's uh, Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And that was Rex Chapman, guys. Thank you so much uh, to Rex for uh, for being on our podcast. What do you think, Daryl? What a what a cool guest! Somebody different to have on with a cool story. Um, I mean, everything he's been through in his life is very interesting, and I would have loved to talk to him even longer. I mean, he's got he's got the gift. One of my, one of my <laughs> certainly, I lo- I I thought we were pretty good today, and we did a good job. And I think we should do more athletes, man, because. Yeah. We were a natural for it. 
Yeah, it was very cool. I we mean, both uh, love sports so much, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big sports fan, a big basketball fan, obviously, and that uh, was very cool to get to talk to him. Uh, Rex is definitely a great guest and a, and a great dude, and I hope you guys all go follow him. Um, and speaking of following on social media, make sure you follow both of us. Uh, he's at Daryl C. Hammond, and I'm at Chris Milhouse, two L's in Milhouse. Um, and then make sure to, you know, share your posts, see the, the posts about the, uh, the podcast for us. And, uh, you know, thank you guys to, to everyone who's listened this year and who's helped us launch this podcast. Uh, you know, shout out to our producer, Jim, who's not here today. Um, but you know, he's been a big part of helping us get our, uh, our, our, our bearings down and, and get this thing off the, off the ground. And, uh, I look forward to the new year, man. I, I don't, I don't know about you, Daryl, but I'm excited about the guests we, we will, we'll be getting in the new year too. I think you're gonna. I think you're getting so good at booking, Chris. I think you're gonna get some really <laughs> marvelous people, and I hope you um, keep gravitating towards sports. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, we've we've started talking. Daryl and I have started talking about uh, you know different types of guests for the podcast, so it's not just you know about SNL stuff, and you know not just about stand up comedy, which is you know obviously two things that we both love, but. Um, you know, we were, you know, we're trying to talk to people like Jake Tapper, you know, from CNN and trying to get him on. And he said he would love to do it. So hopefully we get him coming up and, you know, uh, Rob Lowe, hopefully in January or February, whenever he's available, people like, you know, that are just a little bit more interesting and maybe just outside of the box of, of, you know, typical SNL and, and, and comedians. Well, I think as we, as we get better at this, um, I think more people like that are going to come our way and we are getting better at this. And we were, we had a really good day today, and, and that guy was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It was really cool having him on. But, uh, you know, guys, everyone, thank you so much again for listening to us this year. Um, if you miss any episodes, they're all available on iTunes and Spotify. Um, and don't forget to, like I said, tell your friends about us, follow on social media, and uh, have a safe New Year, guys. Please be safe. Mask up. You know, don't don't catch this thing. It, it just, uh, you know, let's let's have a better year this year. We have to have a better year. 2021 has got to be better. I know there's a lot of pressure for it to be better because, you know, 2020 was such a shit year. But, uh, man, here, here's to hoping, wishful thinking that it's going to be good, you know? We wish it and we wish Sammy a healthy life because he's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will uh, hopefully uh, be hanging out with you too soon, uh, Daryl, and uh, we'll, we'll chat in, in the new year. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. We'll uh, we'll talk to you in the new year. Everybody, be safe and have a good one. Great job today, Chris. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.